You're listening to WP Radio. I'm your host, Terry Doherty, and this is an OIAA podcast. This is part two of the Katie Schultz Me Too podcast that was recorded on April 11th at our elections meeting. Thank you very much and enjoy. To enhance the learning today, like, like I didn't name my old firm. firm. I've only worked at two firms. So this is being recorded. You don't have to give deets. We don't need names, policy numbers, dates of loss. We just, we just need to understand what, what the communication was and, and how it went. Shauna, and then you. Okay, so um, yeah, so the place I guess that I worked, um, there was a coworker, I guess that was maybe being too friendly in I guess their contact with me. Okay. Right. So kind of over phoning or messaging through. Okay. And you know, and kind of things, that, inappropriate things that they would say. So uh, I. Okay, so you went to HR? No, I went to my manager. Okay. So did your manager bring you to HR or did your manager go to HR without you? My manager went to HR. Okay. And so like really interesting, right? Because it can be a discussion up to your manager and then your manager can take it or it can be a discussion with your manager and then you and your manager go and have that discussion with HR. Um, Did it result in a positive change? Okay. And did that person and you continue to work? Yes. Okay. And did the behavior change? Yeah. Yeah. It stopped and I'm, you know, was hopeful that it wasn't happening with anybody else. So. Okay. Well, this is like ideal, right? Like this is what we want for everyone. Unfortunately, it doesn't, doesn't always happen. Oh, Laura's speaking out loud now. Did you ever say anything to him? And I know that's an uncomfortable conversation to have sometimes. I just want to know, did you? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, women like you know they become the B word, right? Yes, we're gonna talk. (laughs) That's on another flippy flip. (laughs) You've like prepped us for the rest of the flip chart. Absolutely. Do you do you think we've had this conversation before? So, but but Shauna, like you've raised some really important points. One is. Um, life is changing, right? So 10 years ago, going to HR as, as a woman or as a person complaining about predatory behavior was probably handled differently than it is now, okay? Do I think that there needs to be a proper investigation? 100%. Do I think that just because someone says something means that someone should be fired or disciplined or anything? No, I don't. I'm, I'm a lawyer. I really very much believe in process. I think one of the big risks that we have is with the instantaneousness of you know, trial without verdict because of social media. 
Um, I think there needs to be process, but I also know that, as Shauna said, you know, going to HR 10, 20 years ago, you became the troublemaker, the problem child in the department, the complainer, the person who couldn't play nicely in the sandbox, right? Well, you can't play in the sandbox if your underwear is being taken off and you are uncomfortable in the sandbox. I'm trying to give you a really granular, <laughs> granular understanding of this. But I'm bumps. So, so really important, which is also, which is also an issue from an organizational perspective of has your HR team grown and developed and matured and have more training and expertise? Yeah. So what happens in a situation where you don't have an HR team to go to? And yeah. I had this happen years and years ago. And I did confront my boss at the time about it, which was big for, I let it go on for a while because I was, I didn't have the confidence. Yeah. I was new into the, to yeah. the company, small, small firm. And um, you talk to, you know, eventually you sort of give the signs and the signals that you just don't want anything to do with it. And then finally you have to put your foot down, but the um, activity didn't change. Mm -hmm. So there's no higher, higher step than that. And my only choice at that point was to leave. Was to leave. Yeah. yeah. And it was the best thing that happened, but it was that decision was sort of taken out of my control. I mean, it was in my control to leave, but I didn't want to have to have to make that decision. Well, and this idea of it's in my control to leave is, is not an acceptable standard, right? Like we, yeah. we all agree, I think, on a few things today. And the idea of someone being harassed in the workplace in whatever form, that their only recourse is to leave. Um, you know, like I'm, I'm just going to say this, and Aunt Bonnie, I'm going to use you as an example because you live in South Porcupine. She, li she lives in South Porcupine. No, she lives in Timmins. It's much bigger than South Porcupine. But if you think about it, think about what it means to give up a really good job because you're being harassed. What happens if you're in a really hard market, right? Or a really small community? So what happens if, if you have to give up the job for your own health and wellness and safety, right? But it's not like, like, you know, you might have just been able to move to another company. There's still gonna be, you know, stress around that and, and risk around that. But what if you're actually completely thwarted from earning a fair living because the only employer that was in that space in your community is the one that is not going to behave properly with you. And I think, you know, like one of the really cool things about the OIA is that, you know, this organization represents people throughout Ontario who are in the industry. And so in different communities, there's going to be a different access to movement. So our standard cannot be that, you know, I tried, I communicated about it, and then there's nowhere to go. So I had to leave. And I'm not saying at all that you know, you kind of started it as a question, and I don't have the answer for you. You know, there's other ways of dealing with it, which may be to go to the Human Rights Commission. There's other ways to deal with it, which may be to um, write a letter of complaint or um, find out if other people who have worked at that company historically have had a similar experience and elevate that. Um, you know, I, I know that all of the insurers that I work with expect my company to have a diversity and inclusiveness protocol, right? And so it might be that you talk to your clients about 
what is going on. That, like, Michael's raising his eyebrow and, like, that is super scary. But I'm just putting out, like, a blanket of potential um, options here. And I'm not just talking about insurance. I'm talking about, you know, in, in the market, in, in industry, there's lots of different options. None of them don't put you at risk. That is the problem, right? So we could get the hammer. We could get the hammer and then at the back and then Frank. Yeah. All right. Give me the framing hammer. You mentioned about uh, most of this is from the standpoint of the employer. Yeah. Um, you Absolutely. So, you know, part of that is being very well documented. Part of it is giving an opportunity for performance improvement, right? Like if there hasn't been an actual assault, right, there's, there's usually going to be an effort to have performance improvement and documented performance improvement. The organization as an employer should be consulting with its, um, and I don't do this work, it's not a pitch, um, with their employment lawyer um, for guidance about best practices and standards to manage that situation because certainly if you think that this is not going to resolve and the behavior is going to repeat or it's actually systemic and is happening with multiple um, uh, employees who are being targeted by this other aggressive employee, you need to document that and manage it. So, so the risk is that they're still going to sue you for letting them go right, if that's what the outcome is. Um, the risk is also that you will lose your own staff who are valued members of the organization if you don't, if you don't act on it. Which again, like, this is not an easy, this, there is no, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're going through that kind of thing. Yeah. It's a catch-22. If you don't do something, or if you do do something, it's kind of a fine line, as you said, waving line. Yep. Yep. It absolutely is. So, um, so I think the organization needs to have clear policies and processes. Um, if you look at, uh, I'll give you an example, and I don't know if you guys have a code of conduct. Does the OIA have a code of conduct? So lawyers, we have this rules, rules of professional conduct. And when I'm teaching these rules with my students, they're always like, but that doesn't tell us what to do. And I'm like, because if the code of conduct has to tell you what to do in every finite little situation, it can't be a code of conduct. It has to be really about principles, right? Big picture thinking that then you reduce to finer thinking depending on the situation. But I agree with you, like the duty to accommodate for someone who suffers from addiction is going to have to be one of the features that's considered about this behavior. Um, I, I wanna ask Frank what he was going to say and then tell you a, a statistic that'll drop your jaw to the you ground. You're talking about situations that do happen and go to the court. What about reporting situations that never happened and now this person's in trouble doing it the opposite? Say that again. You accuse me of mishandling. Okay. You go, you go to the employer and say, Frank's been mishandling me. And mm -hmm. it's not true. But 
But it happens in those situations, so be careful. 100%, and that's why, you know, my concern, and and Terry's not in the room right now, but my concern is that with social media, um, and, and, you know, like there's, let's bring it back into the employment context, like uh, Glassdoor, right, where you you can write anonymously, but giving details about employers. Um, the, the idea of us getting to verdict without a process is, is morally offensive to me. It really is. Um, what I want you to know is that it is very well understood in the data that false complaints are the absolute minuscule minority compared to valid complaints. But that's happened quite often. It's well, management. and, 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 management. and, it, and it, I'm, I'm, I'm I understand how it can happen. Um, I also understand that in some cases there is ambiguity, which is also why I think a skilled investigation is really important. But the data uniformly supports that people do not claim that they have been sexually harassed, let alone assaulted, unless they have been. So there's a small minority that they are false complaints, they are fabricated complaints, but the vast majority have merit to them. So, and this is across, across the Western world. All of the data supports this. What is perhaps completely shocking is that 3% of sexual assault criminal cases in Canada result in a verdict against the accused. 3%. So what I want you to know is that in our society, in Canada, we do not believe women, it's not only women, but we do not believe women who complain that they have been sexually assaulted. We simply don't. There's nothing else in our court system that is at 3%, nothing else. And remember that there is no financial gain that comes from a criminal process, right? There's, there's, there's no, Mm-hmm. Yep. Go- and, and again, if we had 16 days to keep this conversation going, we could do a whole day on Gameshi, and you'd probably be surprised by some of the things that I would point out from a process perspective that contribute to how we might filter um, uh, that process. But it also is a very true um, Canadian example um, that is about power and profile and uh, and risk management. So Jean Gameshi, the person that he chose eventually was the daughter of a CBC board member, right? So when you think about power and you think about when you were in your job and you didn't have an HR department and you know nothing is getting done about it so you have to leave, um, it should not be acceptable in any of our organizations that a situation only gets dealt with when it's the board member's kid who is affected, right? And she wasn't one of the criminal um, complainants, victims, um, but she was the one that escalated this because what did she have? What's the word? That she, power, right? She had a source of power that other people may not have had in that environment. Um, so Frank, I, uh, I want you to know, like, I think that we need to stay off of social media as a way of um, investigating a complaint. 
I also think that we need to have very clear processes around how to investigate a complaint. Um, and often that needs to escalate to bringing an external person in <coughs> to, to run that investigation so that there's a, a, at least an understanding or an expectation of neutrality. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you ruin somebody's reputation too, so yeah. you get both sides of the coin. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else about mentoring? Will you, will you take away from this the idea of mentoring? Are you mentoring in a positive way that creates an open and expansive opportunity for discussion around safety in the workplace? Um, and if you're not, is there a way to do that without necessarily having to be overt and saying like, okay, pizza and me too, right? <laughs> Every Friday, we're gonna have pizza and me too, but no alcohol and definitely no FFFing, right? <laughs> um, I, I just want you to t take it away with you and think about it, even if it's just on your drive home. Um, today, is there someone in your organization who maybe could use some positive exposure, right? Is there someone in your organization who you see occasionally as stepping a little bit out of line in this area, in the area of inappropriate behavior? Can you lead that person not in a disciplinary way, but in a conduct leadership way, right? Set the example. And this goes back, Frank, to what you were saying on the previous um, uh, page, you know, all of us, it's all of our reputation. So let's all lead, lead by example. Um, reporting, so, so gets reported. Let's just des design a scenario. Um, a person in an organization says that they were, what? Accosted in the bathroom, at the holiday party, right, by a colleague who had been on the dance floor and wouldn't like kind of leave them alone on the dance floor. Um, and then they were, they were sexually assaulted by them uh, in, in the bathroom. They go to who? Who do they go to? Hmm? Somebody like on the committee? Or, or like the, the social committee? Yeah. Oh. Okay, so they go to someone on the executive and they say, this is what happened. What happens next? You are now the person who they have reported to. What do you do? Rue says, call the cops. Shauna says, was it you, Shauna? Oh, investigate, but I guess you're Also, like if I was if I was ever sexually assaulted or accosted, I wouldn't even bother with anybody. If, if there's a crime against me, you go to the people who deal with the crime. I would make a report to the cops. I don't want any.
anybody else to deal with this because maybe it's the jaded part where I don't think anyone else can really deal with it. Mm -hmm. But if I was genuinely accosted, physically, sexually, whatever, I would go to the cops. Now, my, in that in that caveat, my brother is a cop, so you know. But like power, power. I would go to a cop. Yeah. I would Do you know that sisters of cops will be dealt with differently? I would go to an a person of authority. Yeah. I don't think anyone else has that authority when such a violent crime is committed against anybody, whether you're male, female, child, whatever. Like, I've, I've, I've told my kid, okay, so my daughter's going to university. Mm -hmm. She's more than likely going away to university. Mm -hmm. she, she's a tough cookie. But I told her, I said, Farah, if anything ever happens to you, I said, call the cops. I said, call us, but call the cops. Okay. I said, I need you to make sure that if anything happens to you, and I would say the same thing to my son when he goes to university and he's away. I said, if anything ever happens to you, yes, call your parents, but call the cops. So in the workplace environment, Rue, who would the parents be? The parents, well, in the workplace environment, it's the employer. Or right. the, the, the your management. management. So, yeah, higher management. So, and then the other part of this, and, and again, because I'm not telling you guys anything today, we're having a discussion. So Rue's perspective is that if you believe a crime has been committed against you, you call the cops, okay? I may have dissuaded a few people by giving you the data about <laughs> the convictions. <laughs> no, I may have just a little bit dissuaded you, but, but Shauna's added to that, which I think you actually put in by call your parents and call the cops. And Shauna's um, suggestion was to run, run an investigation, yeah. right? I've suggested that sometimes that investigation needs to be done with an external body as opposed to an internal body, right? Um, so there's, there's going to be lots of, of positions here. There's also lots of options. And I'm never going to suggest to you that the only thing to do is to phone the cops. Yeah. Um, and I think actually that's an extremely personal decision. I think also um, that calling the cops, depending on what happened and what your experience was, will also be a very personal decision. Um, but it is something to think about, right? So there, there are different channels. What happens though, so you're now on the executive, there's been this report to you, you've suggested or asked if they'd like to phone the police, what else are you gonna do? Let's say it's the night of, okay, this happens the night of. So it's 11.30 at night, everyone's been on the dance floor, I may have had a tambourine. <laughs> that, that was photographed at Deerhurst, remember? On the stage with the tambourine? Yeah. I, I think I would make sure that the accused doesn't leave. Ooh, okay, let's talk about this. What are you going to do? Like go and yeah, and <laughs> get them down on the ground. And... Keep, keep an eye or have, I don't, I don't know. Or make sure that hopefully the person who was assaulted actually knows who the person was that assaulted them. Okay. Because that could be a, that could be an issue, right? They could have it could have happened, and it could have happened so fast, or it or they don't know the person. They don't really know. Yeah. I know it's an industry, but there's a lot of people there that we you might not even know, and you may not know this person who did yeah. it to you. Yeah. So um, so as a lawyer, 
I am going to encourage everyone in the room not to try to confine <laughs> anyone. We know this from our, <laughs> from our you know, um, big box store security people. Files, do not have, do not take it upon yourself to find the accused <laughs> and lock them in a closet until the cops come. I honestly, I am dealing with a file right now where a woman was burgled and she and her cousin got in the car and went out in their town and found the two 17-year-olds who had robbed her. It's one of your company's files. <laughs> robbed her. And they taped up these kids to chairs in her living room for two and a half days. So she went to a criminal trial to defend herself, and she's still making her contents claim for the burglary. I love it. So much fun. Anyway, so I'm going to challenge you a little bit on thinking it through around maybe not pinning them down on the ground or locking all the doors. But I do think that trying to identify um, the person is valuable. Um, but I also just want to say, and because we do have to move through this, um, I also want to say, like, are you okay? And, and I'm not helping you to know, know exactly what to do. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. do have a discipline committee. We do yeah. have a senior executive. Mm -hmm. Probably we do our best, best course of action, but uh, depending on the gravity of the situation, yeah, these are internal investigations. And, and, and the question are you okay? Do you need medical attention? What can I do to help you? Like, you don't need to come to verdict within, at, that, at that event, right? That's not the process. So, you know, does this need to be reported? You're obviously going to have to bring it back to the executive. You've got a duty to your organization. You're also going to ask questions like, are you coming to me? Are you comfortable with me using your name and sharing this with the executive? Um, we don't have enough time today to worry about if the person is on the executive who's being complained about. That's a whole other issue, but again, high, low profile, all of those things, because it does, it does happen. I, I chirped a lot on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter over the last couple of weeks preparing for today about non-disclosure agreements, and I, I want to talk about those a little bit. Um, there's a big case right now at, at the law school that I teach at where there was a sexual predator tenured professor, and uh, he would target women students and one of the things that he did and please understand that this at this point is not sexual assault it is harassment though he would find out where those students were going for their summer jobs or their articling jobs and you, most most often you get your articling job at the end of second year so you know that you're going to it at the end of third year so he'd find out where they were going for their jobs and then he would let, let those students know that he had a lot of friends at that firm. So, oh, you're going to McCarthy's, oh yeah, I'm really good friends with da-da-da. Oh, you're going to Stegman's, oh yeah, I'm really good friends with da-da-da. So the women would start to understand that he was an influencer in their career path. And then he would show up at a law school keg night 
right? Where some of the faculty would show up, some of the sessionals would show up, students would show up. Then he would show up at a house party where generally faculty and sessionals do not show up at the students' houses where they're having a party. And this would escalate. And by the time he was actually a sexual predator, he had very firmly implanted with these students that they would not have a job to go to, that he had enough control over the relationships of the people who had hired these students for summer jobs or articling jobs, that if they were not compliant with him sexually, that they would not have a job to go to. So see that power, see the escalation, see how at multiple stages that is not sexual assault. It may not even be sexual harassment, but then it goes. So the students went to a professor, a female professor, who was doing a lot of work in the law school about sexual assault. And these students complained to her, and she filed. So there was mentoring, right? And she reported to the administration of the law school. And that very quickly escalates. They do have a process. If any of you guys are doing risk management or adjusting for the universities, you know all about this. Um, and there's a reporting process and an investigation. He got fired. And you're all like, right? You feel, OK, he got fired. Um, except he disputed his termination. He was a tenured professor, right? That means he got your ticket. You got it forever. Um, and he got fired. So he sued um, or arbitrated under their, their association agreement. And it was settled. He was still let go. Um, but part of the settlement was that the university and this professor signed a non-disclosure agreement. What does that do for the students? So we've heard multiple nothings, and we've heard it kicks them in the teeth. My question for you is, so that was at one university. So he was a tenured prof at that university. There's no record of him being a sexual predator. So he just went to another university. So is it kicking those students in the teeth, or is it kicking all the students in the teeth? OK, so my next question for you is, did that professor in her role within the law school have a duty to those students? Yes. Okay, and did that professor in her employment with the university have a duty to the university? We've talked about reputation, we've talked about economics, we've talked about brand, which I think is a little bit different from reputation, honestly. Did she also have a duty to the school? Okay, in 2018, is the duty to the school more about not causing negative press to the school that they had a sexual predator and dealt with the sexual predator than actually protecting the students and the brand and reputation of the university of, we learned we had a sexual predator, we dealt with the sexual predator fairly, and the sexual predator is no longer with the Penn university. It is Penn State all over again, but it's in Ontario. So please, high-low. I know we think Penn State and the big budget, right? Well, Windsor Law does not have... Windsor Law does not have, I've said it, it's recorded. Am I still being recorded? Okay, it does not have the Penn State budget, but it does have the issue, right? And so the NDA was signed by the university and by the prof. Prof leaves, goes to another university, is contacted and told by people who are in the know 
that this experience happened at the previous place of employment. So he loses his job there. Like it, it was about to start and he never, he never launched. He goes to a different jurisdiction, gets another teaching job, right? Gets a call. The, the professor who, who had initially reported this gets a call. Can you tell me about this prof? Yes, let go from our university because of this investigation. So he doesn't get the job. Okay, goes to another university. Same thing happens. He is suing the prof. He is suing the prof for defamation. So, and I can tell you in this case, and it's all over the internet, so you can look it up, Dr. Julie McFarlane. Um, in this case, Dr. Julie McFarlane has said, this is immoral. Having an educator, employer, execute a non-disclosure agreement in the context of a sexual harasser or predator who is on faculty is immoral. And this will eventually go to the Supreme Court of Canada, I'm sure. Not necessarily this case, but this issue will. Because it's 2019, people. And if you pass your trash by signing an NDA and having a gag order, you better be sure that you are not exposing future students to abuse by someone who you knew was an abuser. You were going to say something. Yeah. And the only way that that's going to weigh heavily and, and be successful is if society in general goes along with the fact that it's immoral. Yeah. Yeah. So let's bring it back to the insurance context. And I'm going to use it in the context of um, producers, you know, the language of a producer. Uh, so, like a broker who's like a really high producer and brings in a ton of money into their organization. What do you do now in 2019 when you're the head of an organization and you have this phenomenal big ticket producer who's sexually harassing your team? Well, so it depends on how greedy you are. I, I'll share with you very, you know, very blatantly as any small organization, like I, I run a small shop, there's 24, 25 of us. You know, if I were to have one of my lead producers have to go, that would have a tremendous ripple effect to the security of my organization, the financial security of my organization. But not having them go would have a tremendous negative impact on the security of my brand, my ability to retain and hire qualified, skilled, amazing um, employees. Um, and it could also have me lose my relationships within the industry, right? So we know, and this goes back to the HR comment, we know that um, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, HR would deal with this issue differently. And I think we're also getting to the point where we know that if a producer has tremendous financial value to the organization, Harvey Weinstein, okay, tremendous financial value to the organization, but an investigation, a fair investigation has concluded that they are a sexual um, harasser or sexual predator, 
or a sexual assailant, that they need to be removed from the organization. This is, this is hard stuff. So I wanted to talk about NDAs, gag orders, immorality. I would like to come back in like five years when my daughter is eight foot two and um, continue having a conversation about it. We've talked about this all through, right? All through. This is not written here as in you, 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 all of you have a duty to always speak up. It is written here so that you will think about if speaking up is what can and should be done, and if not, what are your alternatives? So let's not stop, right? If you think that you cannot speak up for whatever reason, don't stop your internal or external conversation at that. Map it out, decision tree, right? What else can I do? Who can I speak to? Who can I reach out for mentoring? Or who can I reach out um, to mentor? Um, what's the policy here? How can I investigate this further? Do I need to document this? Do I need to document this to a third party, right? Um, but what, what I do want to leave here is if we see something that is not right, especially, and I'm going to share this, especially with the guys, if you see something that is not right and you're standing right there, you are the influencers in that space. If you turn to your friend or your colleague who is out of line and you say, you're out of line right now, I want you to correct your behavior. This isn't good for any of us. You will be doing everyone in the organization, all of your colleagues, male or female, a tremendous service. So that's my inspirational Katie quote for the day. Um, the language we choose to use, I think I'm like three hours over. It's 3 o'clock. So we're going to wrap up in five minutes. Can we wrap in five minutes? Um, so when I was studying to prepare for today, um, I came across all sorts of really fascinating articles about how we used to talk about um, women who complained of being assaulted or harassed. And of course, it's easy to see the really big cases, um, you know, 1970s, 1980s, 1990s. And the language um, then was predator, villain, um, uh, and, and victim. And until Me Too, I just want you to know, predator, villain were used against the complainant. We, we saw this with Kavanaugh, with the Kavanaugh hearing. Um, and victim was the poor guy who was being unjustly accused. So I do see a real shift in the language, apart from you know, the, the uh, Kavanaugh hearings, um, where predator and villain are either being removed from the lexicon or are being placed against the perpetrator of the assault um, or the harassment and victim um, or complainant uh, is being used for the person who is reporting um, the incident or assault. Um, please remember, like when we've talked about power, um, remember that Monica Lewinsky, everyone knows Monica Lewinsky. Do you know Monica Lewinsky? Okay. Um, Monica Lewinsky was the predator 
That's how she was described. There are tons of printed articles that Monica Lewinsky, a 20-something <laughs> staffer for the President of the United States, no power there, right? No power there, was the predator, and that she was the villain. So um, our lexicon is changing. There's, there's a shift happening there. But I also say, like on this standing up versus stepping out, please evaluate your own language and how you attribute fault through language um, when you're discussing these really um, important but challenging um, uh, issues. Then we have texts and emails. Electronic communications. So, Rue, did you see on Twitter, like maybe six months ago, where a woman had posted a text that had been sent to her, where she was a reporter and she had gone out for a drink, like at the end of the day, with someone in her industry. It was like a professional meeting, have a drink. And then he wrote to her by text, that night and said, so do you agree with me that the next time we should do this naked? Okay, so let's go to the um, you know, devil's advocate. He really misunderstood her intentions. No, but let's just give it to him, right? Like let's, let's, let's be generous in our initial analysis. He understood that going to a bar and having a drink, we've already talked about how freaking confusing that is these days, going to a bar and having a drink was not just professional. It meant that you wanted to spend time with the person and perhaps had an interest outside of a professional discussion, right? She, she may not have felt that she communicated that or that that was the understanding, but let's just say out of generosity that that was his understanding. Rightfully or wrongly, that was his understanding. So then he sends the text, so you know we should do this naked next time. So she posted it with his name onto social media, and Terry has just walked back into the room, so he's missed all of the other stuff that we've said. But she posted it on social media um, saying, you know, like it's, it's 20, it might have been 2018, end of 2018, um, I'd really like to be able to go for a professional drink and not get this as the next communication. Um, about a week later, two weeks later, there was another big wildfire on Twitter um, about um, a, a colleague continuously sending this woman uh, pictures of himself. <laughs> of himself. <laughs> and, and like there's no sexual relationship there. They might not have a no effing rule at their company, but he's a colleague and there, there was no relationship that supported that kind of um, sharing. And so I asked my daughter, I asked my daughter, like, Lily, how would you deal with this? And she's like, you just block them. <laughs> my 13-year-old, I'm like, do not speak like that. No swear words. But she said, like, mama, you just, you just block those people. You don't, you don't let them harass you online. You block them. Um, the point being, to bring it back to what we do for a living, guys, like, this is danger, 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 right? If people send and feel that sending sexual messages, emails, texts, snap, whatever, um, to, to colleagues or vendor relationships or whatever, 
like you must know that from a risk management perspective that this is liability, liability, liability. So for the OIA, you know that within the organization, you wanna be really mindful, part of your code of conduct. Now, because it's 2019, it might almost be 2020 because I've been talking for so long, um, <laughs> needs to include a discussion about electronic communications. But it's also, if it is unsolicited, it should not be sent, right? So talking about sexual activity, sharing parts of your bodies without being asked to, don't do it. Um, we're gonna skip this one because we've already covered this in so many different ways. So what's the value of an apology? And if anyone knows the answer to this, you us. Really impressive. What's the value of an apology in this? You know, we wanna be future oriented, right? Like the only reason why we're having this conversation is so that we can do better, be better, get better, be more aware, have better discussions, more awareness. So what happens if someone apologizes? What's the value of it? Hopefully awareness. Hopefully, so that they're aware. So it's a demonstration of their own growth and awareness. Shauna? Yes, acknowledgement that they've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. That's anytime something's happened, you want an acknowledgement that yeah. they've done a certain thing. Yeah. Anyone else? It gives the power back to the other person. Okay. It can transfer the power back to the person who was injured. Okay. Anyone else? So I had um, Frank Gomberg. Have some of you guys mediated with Frank Gomberg? Great mediator. He wrote his master's thesis in conflict resolution about the value of an apology. I'm going to send, Michael, I'm going to send you a clip of the most perfect, incredible apology ever. Um, and if you want to, you can, you can share it around. Um, real risk <coughs> if it's a disingenuous apology, right? So about um, six weeks after Alyssa Milano posted hashtag me too, I got an email from one of my first ever um, uh, bosses, I guess, client boss um, from the insurance industry. So I was like, I was like 25, right? I just started practicing. Um, and it said, and this will be funny because I've told you about my name, um, if this is the Katie Schultz who worked at, like it's K-A-D-E-Y. S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. It's like the longest Schultz and a ridiculous version of Katie, right? There's only one of me on the planet, and the only way he got my Schultz Frost email was by Googling me and seeing my face, and I look the same as I did, right, Aunt Bonnie, as I did when I was two. I do, I'm taller, but I look the same. So is this the Katie Schultz who worked at da-da-da? If so, I owe you an apology. If not, please excuse this email. <laughs> and I was like, you little shit, you do owe me an apology, and it is this Katie Schultz, and I'm not gonna ignore this email. So I wrote back and I said, um, this is the Katie Schultz, and what, what, what exactly are you writing to apologize about? So he writes back, puts in like a little very, very crafted, you know, he knows I'm a lawyer, crafted, um, apology about being completely sexually inappropriate with me. And then he says, and Katie, I just want you to know that I was very attracted to you and I thought that you were very smart 
and that you were going to really do well in your career. And I was just really like attracted to you. And so um, if you want to understand my apology more, I'd be happy to meet you for a coffee. Sorry, not sorry. You know the song, Sorry, Not Sorry. Maybe Lily will sing that at Music Heels, right? Sorry, Not Sorry. Um, but like, oh my God. So I had a moment, right, of getting the apology and feeling, right? Like feeling a little cured, a little improved in the history of my life. And within like 16 minutes, because we all press send, I realized that the dude was actually trying to pick me up. <laughs> so what should I have done? If you were Katie in these boots that were definitely made for walking, what would you do? How would you respond to that email? There's no right or wrong, guys. How, how do you think you could have responded to that email if you were me? Okay, anyone else? So I accept your apology, I don't want to hear from you again. Maybe ignore it. Yeah. I'd say, you know, based, you know, based on your apology, I don't think you're sincere and you know, I don't want to have anything to do with you again. I don't accept your apology. Obviously you haven't changed. Okay. Something along that line. So. Anyone else? Send them a picture of your family. <laughs> with a thank you. With my, with my husband with a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so I didn't respond. I got some advice from some colleagues. I got some mentoring about what I should do. And I decided that in that context and in my super busy, crazy, crazy life, that I couldn't give him any of me. And so I didn't respond. But I think all of the possible uh, responses are completely valid. Um, do you think there can be redemption? For him? Well, not, not just for him, but, you know, like Canada is built on a system of values and our judicial system uh, is built on a, a, a fundamental belief that people can be restored. Relationships can be restored. Uh, people who have um, offended our normative behavior standards can, can redeem themselves, whether through exposure, training, incarceration, whatever it is. So what do you think about redemption in the context of a Me Too incident? I've seen it firsthand. Uh, you know, you take over an office, and there's maybe a legacy issue there with some of the behavior. It's been that way for eons. It's completely accepted by the people in that environment. Um, it's not right. And it's, not, it's not going on anymore because of some of this awareness and because people are, are speaking up. Seen firsthand some people that have changed their behavior, and I don't know if it's a redemption, but you know it's it's a new chapter, and, and if we're willing to, you know, move forward, then it's a forward focus. Okay. And I don't know that there will ever be a, 
you know, a couple people that I can think of are, their eyes were completely open. They're maybe an older generation where they didn't think about this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they had addiction issues, or maybe yeah, they had. And now they do. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the people in some of the offices are, are talking to these people, and we talk about it, and they're commending these people on their behavior. Mm -hmm. In the past, you would have done this, or in the past, mm -hmm. you know, or I can't believe how well behaved you're being. And so, you know, people deserve another chance. Some people do. Mm -hmm. Get out of jail and here's your gold star. You're you're forgiven and we've forgotten this. Yeah, I I I want to have you think about the concept of apology and redemption around what um, if you're a leader and you're managing this situation, whether with the assistance of HR or otherwise, um, this piece is going to be very subjective, and it's important to the morale and your environment and the perception of safety and support, whether by the complainant or by your team, um, that you can solicit a discussion about how this is understood. So think back to the wheel and the flower. What makes up their lens to process what an apology may mean and what makes up their lens about the value or potential for redemption? We're on the last page, because I'm three and a half hours over. Um, so I just think the future is bright. I say this a lot. We are better together. We are better for the discussion. We are better for challenging ourselves. We are better for knowing our biases and putting them squarely on the table so that we can have a discussion about it. We are better for our differences. We are not better by all being the same and monolithic in our perspective, and Me Too is an excellent example of diversity of thought and experience and perspective and how we can still collaborate and work together to make our workplaces, our families, and our communities better, happier, and healthier. So thank you for having me. All right, everybody, thank you very much for listening to this episode of WP Radio. There'll be more content coming shortly, and thanks again for your time. Don't forget to go to WP Digital and check out our page on YouTube and check all the content we put on for you so far this year. We really appreciate it.